This is all about periods. After my conversation with Karen in episode 43, We Need to Talk About the Uterus, and as I was recording episode 46, I'm ready to talk about my uterus, I needed to ask my mom a few questions about periods and, and more. And in case our conversation was worth sharing, I recorded it. Our episode tangents include periods through the generations, lack of conversation and miseducation, reproductive health versus sex ed, not knowing what normal is, hiding our periods, being the, quote, weaker sex, periods in the media, female empowerment, and changing the conversation. Check the show notes on balancingcultures.com for links, resources, and related episodes. While you're there, sign up for the newsletter for bonus content. And if you like what you hear, consider supporting me with Buy Me a Coffee. But let's go ahead and start the conversation. I'm Megan Kitchen, and this is Balancing Cultures. If we were just having a regular phone conversation, and then I realized this conversation is gold. So... <laughs> So I was like, well, let's jump. I'll go jump in the booth really quick. You've thrown your headset on really quick, which you own because I basically make you record our conversations nowadays. So thank yes. you for that. It's part of my life. It's part of your life as a podcast host mother. Mm-hmm. It's like a dance mom, but different. Yeah, a little different. But the conversation we were having, what happened was today, tomorrow, I'm recording my episode about my uterus, so my personal uterine health journey, we'll call it. And I sent you a voice memo saying, hey, I think I remember this correctly from when I was a teenager about Mm -hmm. like my first pelvic exam and like potential birth control conversations, but I couldn't quite remember right. And you and I started chatting about that. But the question that really got us going on kind of a tangent, we talked about the fact that, okay, you are the one who took me for that appointment. I was probably Mm -hmm. around 16 years old, 15, 16. Mm -hmm. You took me to the doctor. We were obviously going for my uterine health, a pelvic exam, these conversations. But at home, we didn't have conversations about those things. Yeah, not so much. And you were talking about a little bit uh, of the kind of trickle-down effect between cultures and why... Like, your generation was kind of this 50-50 generation once you became parents that, as kids, you would have never had the conversations. But then this kind of switch halfway through your life or in your 20s and 30s, conversations started happening and it became more normal to kind of flip the, the script. Right. So what do you, what do yeah. you have to say about that? Okay, well, let me, um, I think if I do like more of a linear memory, it's going to be a little more helpful for me. <laughs> Go for it. And so I'd like to take it back to my grandmother, your great-grandmother. Mm-hmm. So anyways, uh, your great-grandmother, my grandmother, was married in 1921 and started having children pretty much nine months after that. And um, in, she had three girls. And so in raising three girls... You know, this uh, experience of a house of women all experiencing their periods and everything that went along with that, she passed on to those three girls, my mother being one of them, that, you know, having your period was just something that you endured, you put up with. There was no positivity around that in conversation or, or otherwise. 
Um, they were certainly raised in a time long before tampons were in use. So the idea that you had to then put up with the uncomfortableness or the awkwardness of these large, like, uh, pads, you know, yeah. like the Kotex pads, was even more, uh, you know, of a negative. And if I can be even more <laughs> blunt, I guess, they didn't have the type that had the sticky strip on it. Right. Yeah. They then had to add in these uncomfortable elastic belts. Mm. I mean, it was it was a big it was a process. You know, I can remember my mom being in the bathroom thirty minutes or something like that. You know, just dealing with all of this. And so, you know, what that makes me think of is actually for any listener or person who's gone through labor, birth, even with C sections, which I've had too, mm -hmm. you end up afterwards with these mesh underwear with these giant pads which most of them are are not adhesive on one side right so it i if so what i'm imagining is what if i had to wear kind of that mesh underwear in large pad situation once a month right exactly it, it was not user-friendly um we used to call them mouse mattresses Ooh. because we thought oh my gosh they were so huge you know and uncomfortable and um, and, and girls were, uh, you know, in my mom's generation and mine, we were horrified that someone might see that, that you would wear a piece of clothing. You were very intentional about the clothing you wore mm -hmm. because, you know, the idea of someone actually knowing, uh, was worse than, yeah. you know, any cramps or, or uncomfortableness you had to endure. So back to kind of my mom's generation now, very much raised hating this idea. You know, I, I can remember, you know, one time having a conversation with my mom about it and, and keep in mind, I'm 17, 18 years old. It wasn't younger saying, you know, I've got uh, two questions for God when I get to heaven. And one of them is periods. Really? What were you thinking? <laughs> you know, I just, they just didn't have a place of positivity. This thing, we called it the curse every month. And of course, it was never explained to us biologically why that's needed. You know, it was never presented to us anything that was healthy or positive about that. Now, I had just said to you when we were on the phone, I have no recollection of us ever having a conversation about periods right. before I had my period. Now, you say, you did. Maybe I've blocked yeah, that out. You were about 10 years old. And, you know, I, I I mean, I know that's kind of probably young at the time to have that. Oh, it's not nowadays. Not now, but then. But I realized that there were kind of girls in fourth grade here and there um, yeah. that had started their period. So the summer after your fourth grade year, I thought, okay, I better, I better say something here. And, um, so we did. I, I sent for this uh, booklet. It was a packet that came with all kinds of stuff and pictures and uh, that explained it. And, and we read that. And, and I can remember at the time, you know, like any 10-year-old be like, okay, uh-huh, can I go out and play? Yeah. Are, are we done here? Do you remember, did you feel equipped for that conversation? No, absolutely not equipped. Uh, like yeah. I said, it wasn't something discussed in school. It wasn't even discussed in health class. 
Well, what about other other moms or other parents? Like, did you yeah. guys as a group say, did you say, hey, I'm going to talk to Megan about this? What is that? What conversations are you guys having? Yeah. Or, no, no, no. The most that it was ever mentioned was, um, have you had the talk yet? But to me, when I hear, quote, the talk, I think mm. sex, not periods. No, for us, it was periods. Sex was out of the question. Yeah, we never had that conversation. No, that was not on the table because, you know, it just didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, no, Mom, yeah. it never happened. <laughs> it never happens. Um, you know, I think I, I shared with you last time that uh, when I was in school, and I, I did we already have this conversation about me at Catholic school? And I mean, potentially, but go ahead. So we, I, we, we saw the film. We saw a little film strip. And I, you probably don't even know what those are. But in school, I know what you know those what film are. strip is. Okay, so we have. I mean, these, I've seen. It was I've like seen a little movies reel. about it. Yeah, a little. Re- <laughs> <laughs> I read books about it, but it was just a little sound. No soundtrack or anything. It was just this little like watching slides. We got to see that in school after we had our mother's written permission to watch it, and I can remember there were some girls who did not get that written permission that had to go to the library, while we saw the film strip entitled. Um, being a woman. I will say, though, even at the school I work at, and this is, you know, 2000 and beyond, the year 2000 and beyond, we still need to get parent permission for any sex ed Mm -hmm. talk. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is rare, but there is once in a while out of a group of 100 kids, one who is not given permission and, yeah, they have to sit out. Right. Well, I think that's a almost a different category because this is more the reproductive health talk. And I, yeah. I'm concerned when you have to get permission for that, when that could endanger some kids' lives um, and health if a parent said, no, I don't want them participating in that. That's for me different than the sex ed talk. I I hear you now that the difference is one is just basically a biology lesson of right. here is what functions in your body, where the other is a conversation about what makes a baby. Exactly. Exactly. It's, so I, I get why there might they still want parental permission for that, but yeah. I think the reproductive health one should be part of every science class. You know, why they even reserve it for health class? And, and I can remember going into that, um, they told the boys, get this, that this group of girls were in trouble and we were, yeah, we were being taken to the auditorium to be talked to by the school principal. Even that we, there was no disclosure as to what we were really in there talking about. Mm. Uh, We would have been horrified and very embarrassed if they knew. Um, I shared with you earlier that even among a group of your friends, like at a sleepover or something, if, if a Kotex commercial came on television, we were so, we were so embarrassed. Yeah. If we, if nobody looked at each other or said anything, we just kind of, you know, there was like 60 seconds of silence and then we resumed our conversations and activities. (laughs) So it was very much a different culture and a different time. And, and myself, uh, you know, on my dad's side of the family, I'm kind of first generation American. So there was And still, that's the Italians. Yeah, the, exactly. But it's an old world attitude toward this. You know, if we go back to my grandmother, they didn't even have pads. 
Vincenza. They, yes, they literally used rags. And so you could always tell, she would. She told me, you could tell when a girl in the neighborhood was having her period because on the clothesline outside would be all of these long, just rags, cloths hanging mm. to dry. So then, you know, add on top of that, that's something you had to wash out by hand. And then put on display for the neighborhood. And then put on display. So, you know, for many generations here, that you know, there was nothing positive. Um, there were never positive words or terminology used. And you and I, in our conversation that we just had, we talked about even once you're older, you're not in this preteen embarrassment phase, and maybe you have accepted your body as a as a woman or a uterus owner, you still have society thinking that you are weak, impressionable, impressionable, hormonal mm -hmm. when you're on your period. And so you don't want to divulge the fact that you're having one. Right. Because you don't, especially in the workforce, don't want to be seen as weak. Right. And right. so you can be having excruciating pain, which I did. Mm -hmm. But you still show up to work. You pretend you're not in pain. You don't talk about it. And if it's to the point where you really feel ill, you pretend you have a cold. Right. Because you don't want people thinking you're using your biology as an excuse. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, it's, and that, you know, for, for many generations, women were called the weaker sex. And that wasn't, I don't think, due just to muscle mass, um, mm. you know, or the ability to lift something or whatever. Um, I think women were seen as weaker because once a month, we were basically knocked down in, in society's eyes. But imagine if we would have had more and more and better education around these things. Like the conversation I just had with Karen, mm -hmm. the, the we need to talk about a uterus episode. If I would have known at the beginning, even before I started my period, that your period is a cycle. Mm -hmm. And throughout that cycle, your energy levels and your hormone and your hormone levels change. Mm -hmm. And so you can work with that calendar to use your power when you have power and build in rest when you need rest, mm -hmm. I think it would have been a whole different outlook on who I am as a physical being and how I function mm -hmm. in my body. Yeah. But I didn't have that knowledge. Right. I didn't even know until, you know, at least in my 20s, which is embarrassing, but I, I do want to say it, like why, what cramps are, what mm -hmm. the bleeding is, what is the biology behind all this, that it is the lining of the uterus being shed and the reason you have cramps is your uterus needs to make these contractions in order to get it out like it all has a purpose you know certainly generations past you know i don't know if we should apologize if we should um feel like we had failed in some area there uh, you know as as parents of girls you know you just don't know where to go with that you didn't know. I mean, you knew, but you didn't know. Mm -hmm. So I don't think we can blame, like, you can't blame your mother or Nona mm -hmm. for their lack of conversation because no one was having those conversations. Right. It's not like they stood up against the norm, which was be open and honest about these things. And then they said, no, I refuse. My daughter will be kept in the dark. Exactly. Exactly. 
Uh, and like I said, it was something generationally that was, you know, almost an embarrassment. You know, it seemed like, um, how do I want to put this? It's like my mother would have never told one of her friends I was having my period. Hmm. Not that that's like table conversation or, it, you know, I don't, I don't think you should force it, you know, just to make a point. Like, okay, everybody, let's talk about periods today. You know, it's... But it's funny you say it in that way, because my mom group, we will say it exactly that way. Mm -hmm. And I'm that mom who shows up to mm -hmm. moms hanging out with books, like kid books. Mm -hmm. And we started, we had a whole conversation about how are we teaching our kids about gender and different pronouns, and how are we fitting this into the conversations with our four-year-olds? Because we all have kids around the same age. Mm -hmm. We did talk about, because one of the other moms is a teacher who is helping with this fourth and fifth grade group of students and these lessons. Okay. So we had an open conversation about, well, what was our past conversation when we were growing up? What can we add to help this mom who is a teacher? And how do we feel like we're going to approach it with our kids? Right. Right. I mean, maybe because two out of the five of us are teachers and one of us is a podcast host who <laughs> loves to talk about things, right. it, that might help. But I feel like, at least in my mom group, we bring topics to the table often like, oh, my kid was asking about this today or my kid used the word stupid for the first time, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. What are you guys right. saying about that type of language? Right. Now, those those type of conversations we certainly had among moms. But at the time, you know, we were raising kids or my mom's generation, there was no exposure in the media to this topic. None. Yeah. Uh, there was not, it was never mentioned in a television show. It was never brought up even like in, in, in any type of public domain. Wasn't I Love Lucy the first show that had a pregnant woman? Yes. So... But, and they still slept they in still separate, had separate beds. beds. Exactly. <laughs> so that was pretty groundbreaking. So that was 1953 before they even showed a woman a that pregnant was pregnant. Woman. And you didn't really see her. You know, they wore these big tent kind of tops. Yeah. Um, pregnancy was something to hide. Yeah. So th that's a whole other conversation. Um, but even that, something as glorious to me and exciting as, as pregnancy was something that was minimized, hidden, um, you know, that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. You know, until it started kind of moving into media in positive ways, um, you know, I can remember a commercial way back when we were in high school, and it went something like this. It was two girls talking so this is just for just for some time frame. So this is early 70s. Uh, yeah, this would be like 1969, 1970. Okay. Right there. And this commercial comes on with the two girls, and the one says to the other, oh, well, uh, you know, I can't do that with you this weekend because I'm having my period. And that would never happen today. Again, it was a negative spin on it. Okay. If you look at the word some period. Of, yeah, they I did. Mean, that, was positive. So that was positive. <laughs> and and you know, I just said the other day, I said, why is it even called a period? Why didn't we always use the word cycle? Yeah. But anyhow, 
nowadays, though, the media, anytime you will see um, a commercial ad or something for, you know, period products or whatever, it's much more positive. Girls are, you know, riding bikes at the beach, you know, um, in their bathing suits. Wearing white shorts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All things that were very forbidden, just not talked about. You know, so it, it was definitely, we feared it, we despised it. Really strong word, but we did. So this whole conversation that we got on the phone because I'm recording this other episode, which will go out this week about my uterine health journey. And it was, you know, I just needed to know kind of the background of what was happening to me as a teenager. Mm -hmm. And I remember a lot correctly, it seems, but... You had told me, and I remember this, you know, my period was really bad. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I remember dad traveled a bunch for work and I would like crawl into bed next to you and have a heating pad. Mm -hmm. But we still didn't talk about it. No, no. I, I think my goal was make you comfortable, get you get, get subside the pain. But don't talk about it. Yeah, we just... Um... And I guess, you know, yeah, you had asked, was I equipped to have those conversations? There wasn't the literature like there is now. There certainly were not ch young children's books that talked about any reproduction, anything. I don't know. I think it's not your fault, and I'm not blaming mm -hmm. you for not having those conversations, because I don't think your generation was necessarily mm -hmm. equipped. But I do think... The fact that I didn't have that knowledge or those conversations mm -hmm. did lead to more pain and more discomfort long term mm -hmm. because I didn't seek out help. And what I mentioned in the other episode is the lack of conversation made me feel like, okay, maybe this is everyone's experience. Mm -hmm. And if so, I have no right to complain. I have no right to question my health. This is just the way it is. Mm. And so I didn't speak up. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think would have been different for you? Would it have lessened the pain? Would it have made you less anxious about it? I think less anxious, definitely. I definitely had a level of anxiety. I mean, the general teenage anxiety mm -hmm. that you get wanting to be accepted. Um, and this just exacerbated that. I was already self-conscious about my body, mm -hmm. and then once a month, I felt like my body was attacking me. When, when you were in high school, middle school or high school, were you and your friends having those conversations? The only thing I really remember, in sixth grade, I hadn't started my period yet, we were at the lunch table mm -hmm. in the cafeteria, and another girl named Megan was you got her lunchbox out and then in her lunchbox she had a little pad tucked in there and oh. she goes excuse me i need to go change and was so proud of herself that oh. like midway through the day on her lunch break that she had her period now like obviously in her house it was you know you're a woman now or there was mm -hmm. some type of conversation mm -hmm. around that but that did not then put periods into the like into a what do I want to say it didn't make it a, 
a more positive outlook for me that she had a po- positive outlook. Right. I just right. remember that and being like, huh. Yeah. Because it was the same year, either just before that or just after that, that the PE teachers took us into the ladies' bathroom, mm-hmm. the girls' bathroom, and said, do you see this metal bin on the wall? That's where you put all your stuff, you know? <laughs> Again, stuff. You, you know? know? And that was basically when you... When you have your period, blah, blah, and they told us since, I remember it was in that building, the mm-hmm, same building, mm-hmm. so it had to be sixth grade. I do remember then in seventh slash eighth grade, I had Miss A for PE, and she talked to us just about periods, but it's very vague, and I remember it was like a five-minute thing at the beginning of a PE class. Yeah. We spent more time on self-defense. Yeah. Which the boys didn't get. Another thing boys don't do. Right. That's a whole nother conversation. But yeah. And so then I go to university and I'm going to tell this story that it just gets worse and worse. I finally try, you know, birth control. It makes me sick. I drop that. And and it's just, it's just bad. Yeah. What I find interesting is even in the 1990s, mm-hmm. when you were a teenager amongst your friends, it was still very minimal conversation. But I, yes. But I don't know how much of that was me. I was very shy. Mm-hmm. I was very self-conscious. I was not a popular girl. And so I'm sure the more... I'm sure the popular girls that were more self... What do I want to say? The ones that were more sure of themselves probably mm-hmm. did have those conversations. Okay. But I had no knowledge of what was going on in my body, and there was no way I was going to risk looking stupid Mm -hmm. by bringing up something that, quote-unquote, everybody knows. Mm. So, no, I did not step forward to have any type of conversation because I didn't want to risk, you know, social whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and that that was very much, I mean, if you were to magnify that feeling by 10... Um, that's where we were as teenagers. Yeah. And so unfortunately it was a, you know, no pun intended, cyclical thing that hopefully now that there's a lot more knowledge out there, there's more positivity, there's more information that, you know, this next generation coming up, your daughter's generation will have a very different experience with, with all of that. Are you kidding? My daughter already knows the word uterus. Because we, my kids, I made sure before I went into surgery that we had these conversations. I bought a book called What Makes a Baby. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. I'm going to do a little bonus video thing where I talk through how I use this book to help my kids understand. But yeah, my kids, you know, they'll say, oh, you know, what book do you want to read tonight? Sperm and egg, sperm and egg. Okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then we get to yeah. the page and it's like, oh, but that baby needs a place to grow. And what's that place called? And my kids go, uterus. Well, you know, I think that those are all great things. And I think they have come out of a time when women are more valued now. Um, women have a much more positive, powerful they are more empowered, I'll put it that way, and roles in society. Yeah. It took a while to get there. You know, so as society begins to see women in a different light and their abilities and all of that, those things then are offshoots 
the, the books you're seeing and the literature and the conversations and um, media coverage of it, those are offshoots of just in general, I think, women being in a better place and being valued more. And I think you said it much earlier and you kind of just said it now, the amount of media helps mm -hmm. because, you know, now that we've got the internet and this global connectivity and the ability, you know, I'm, I record this thing and I can share it with the world. Right. Anyone who wants to listen then to this story or any other story, just two clicks and they're listening. Right. And I think that makes a difference when, quote, normal people, not people in power, not people with a lot of money who can produce movies, even your everyday mom can get on the microphone and tell a story. It makes a difference that we have this collection of voices rising up and saying, why don't we, why don't we have more of these conversations? Let's do it. Right. It's easier to start that trend and start that wave. Absolutely. And I know it's probably hard to project this far, but for your daughter's adult generation, when she is a young adult, it's going to mm -hmm. sound even different. Yeah. You know, they will look back and say, oh, I wish, you know, we could have done this or this or that. Their conversations will sound different than the ones you're having now. Yeah. And that's just how it is. But I think all of it's moving in a much more, you know, healthy and positive direction for sure. And uh, there you go. A big thank you to my mom for jumping on the mic to talk about periods. For related books and resources, check the show notes on balancingcultures.com. And also check out this episode's guest picture on the website or social media for a look at self-conscious sixth grade Megan trying to avoid a picture and all conversations about periods. Oh, how the times have changed. Thank you for listening. This was Balancing Cultures, and I'm Megan Kitchen. Mm -hmm.